all right we are live what is up muscle building secrets episode two guys today we have coach Aishak with me he he, got, he helps people with nutrition and exercise not only that he's actually competed in bodybuilding himself and is the muscle mayhem novice bodybuilding champion am i right that's correct that's correct nice dude i thought today we just kick things off with um can i let the guys know a bit about yourself so like how did you get into fitness starting off mm. i believe i first started you know working towards it i guess you could say a fitness related goal but it wasn't even a fitness related goal you know um when i was younger around like 15 i was uh unhealthy uh with regards to my weight for my age i was 250 pounds i was pre-diabetic and um i just you know, woke up one day and I wasn't very happy with myself or the habits um, that I had at the time. And that really um, pushed me to make a change, right? So oftentimes a lot of people come to me and they want to make a change, right? And um, I could do the best of my efforts to help that person, but if they don't want to change within themselves, it's going to be very difficult, right? Um, but anyways, Back to what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. So I started around 15, 250, pre-diabetic, pre-hypertensive. Wasn't very happy with, you know, uh, how I looked at the time. And I slowly started making a change by educating myself with regards to nutrition and training. And um, I, you know, put in the work over the course of a year. I ended up losing um, up to 100 pounds. And that uh, really allowed me to... Um, find a hobby that I not only enjoyed, but pushed me in a way that I wanted to be pushed, right? And eventually through losing that weight, I fell in love with uh, bodybuilding. So I started following people like Kai Green and, um, you know, big bodybuilders at the time. Uh, this was like, I would say circa 2011, 2010, Phil Heath, you know, Branch Warren, all these different guys. But I wasn't willing to uh, take, you know, my journey with where I was currently at to the level of, you know, taking some sort of, you know, uh, exogenous androgen. Given at the time, I was like, I was like 16, right? So I was like, oh, okay, give us some time. So I fell in love with natural bodybuilding and I started following people like 3DMJ, uh, Alberto Nunez, Jeff Alberts, and um, I actually uh, started working with Jeff Alberts in, uh, I say, 2015. And uh, really that initial experience opened my mind up to uh, the complexities of natural bodybuilding and, you know, achieving your best self and, you know, improving week to week or, you know, pushing for improvement within yourself. And um, from there, after after I worked with Jeff, I went through my first contest prep in 2016. After my first contest prep, um, I really decided to um, take my passion seriously. At the time, I was in nursing school. And um, that was an experience that didn't particularly work out for me. And I think a big part of that was because I wasn't super excited about what I was doing. I had this thing on the side, you know, and I had I had been a personal trainer 
And um, I had this thing on the side that I was super passionate about that I know if I put my you know head to it, I could be successful doing it. And um, that's exactly what I did around um, 2017. And I ended up building my business, which is known today as Hawk Fit Coaching, where I teach people about the fundamental principles with regards to nutrition and training. And I also have a project in the works. It is a book on resistance training. I'm very excited about it. And I think it has a, a vast um, opportunity to help a lot of people with their understanding of complexities of nutrition and training um but primarily just training because it's a book on training book on nutrition soon in the future but um yeah man that's pretty much how i got started and um that's how i currently am where i am today dude huge transformation like 100 pounds is a lot to lose now could you run us a bit like through the process of that like was it just one big cut or like what did that look like losing 100 pounds Hmm. You know, when I first started, I don't particularly recall what I did, but I remember, you know, a few fundamentals that I stuck to at the time, which was being more aware of what I was consuming, you know, training consistently throughout the course of a week, whether that be three days or four days or whatever. And um, obviously, you know, different forms of expenditure. So I was doing, um, I was doing, I remember I, I had a, I had a thing for the stair stepper at the time because that's what Kai Green was doing. So I always wanted to do what Kai Green was doing. Yeah, I think everyone like gets this like one cardio machine that they just like always use, whether it's a stairmaster or the treadmill or some shit. They always just for end sure. up using that. For sure, I don't um, really use the stairmaster anymore today. I'm a little <laughs> bit more efficient with how I expend my energy. Neither do I, man. I just kind of walk all day, and that's it. That's my cardio. Um, but yeah, man, today's main topic, I wanted to talk about like your bodybuilding. And um, as we said, you're a bodybuilding champion, you've won a show. So I wanted to talk about like, what, what made you decide to actually start getting into competitive bodybuilding? Hmm. It's a good question. So oftentimes, when a lot of people, um, you know, set a bodybuilding related goal for themselves, uh, a very important part of that is identifying the reasons as to why, you know, you want to accomplish that goal, right? So is it for the external validation of your peers? Are you trying to impress some girl at school? Do you want to actually make this change for yourself? Do you want to see what you're capable of? Right. So these are these are these are a lot of things, um, you know, people have to think about, because if you're not doing this for the long term, right? How do you intend to stay consistent with it over the years, right? Um, circling back to your question, what was it again? How did I... Uh... Uh, what made you decide to actually get into competitive bodybuilding and, you know, get ready for a show? Sure. Uh, so me personally, um, is just something I had a passion for. So my first time around competing in 2016, I just wanted to dip my toes in the water, you know, see what I was capable of. I had lost whatever, 100 pounds. And I wanted to see how far I could push my physique, right? I And I guess I always, I always watched like Pumping Iron and, you know, Dragon Ball Z and Goku, Goku's physique motivated me to build a really cool physique. And um, yeah, man. So I did my toes in the water 2016. And um, that really opened my mind up to 
what I personally, you know, could achieve if I just really put my head down, put my mind to it. And um, being so early on in my journey that I had identified my passion, um, something that really drives me today is also just seeing what I'm capable of, right? It's never, it's never a, a thing of, oh, I want to win this show. I want to get this trophy. I want, I want to be a pro. I don't really care about all that. Like, I just love training. You know, I love moving heavy weights. I love doing this because it promotes so many things that are really great for longevity and health. And um, long term, I want to I want to be injury free. Right. So when I'm 60, I want to be moving like I'm 40. I don't want to be moving like I'm 80. You know, so being efficient and effective with your training, too, is also another big part of the equation. Right. Staying injury free, because the longer you're able to stay injury free for the more progress you'll make over time. Dude, I think that's such a great mindset to have. Like a lot of people just go in the gym. They're like, I'm going to train as hard as I possibly can two hours a day. <laughs> so every day and like they start getting aches, pains, injuries. And it's just like, dude, if you want to build muscle or you know, in the long term, that's not sustainable. Like just getting aches and all that shit. But um, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you and me kind of had the same uh, motivation um, with the Dragon Ball Z. Like seeing Goku just like constantly push himself. It's just like, what if I do that? You know, what if I see how far I can actually push myself? And just what? For sure, man. Got to ascend to new levels. Exactly, dude. <laughs> so. What did the process for getting ready for a show look like? Like, run us through maybe like uh, how was your macros and st stuff like that, for example. Hmm. So I don't remember my macros. Do not. I mean, <laughs> I right. could probably look through no. a, a hard drive and find like an old spreadsheet and you know yeah. give you my macronutrient numbers at the time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're going to be lower at the tail end of a prep right as as compared to when i had first started and um you know i don't think there's a lot of value that can be gained out of given specific numbers at this certain point in time because you know so many things are different now like my lean body mass like you know my my uh, efficiency when i'm training my expenditure all these different things are different all these things are different as opposed to then and um, i think the most important thing when it comes to dieting down for a show is really um, i think for a beginner establishing a report with a coach is really important or even if you want to do it yourself you really need to educate yourself about the process right in my opinion, if it's a beginner, if it's a first timer, you should 1000% most definitely get the appropriate guidance. Um, because I would say that getting to the level of conditioning that's required for today's stage to be competitive on the stage isn't inherently healthy. So really planning things out appropriately to get you to those low levels of body fat is super important right because you could always you know slash your calories in half and do tons of cardio and do that over the long term and you think that's going to get you results when in actuality you're banging your head through a wall just waiting until you know you hit it so many times as you're able to bust through right the reality is there's far more efficient and effective ways for achieving a body composition related goal without compromising your health right so this is where things like 
nutritional periodization comes in. This is where things like strategies and tools of refeeds and diet breaks help you when it comes to adhering over a sustained calorie deficit over the long term. Um, obviously, if your goal is to get to extreme levels of conditioning, um, a calorie deficit is a big part of that, right? And um, really managing supply and demand is also very important right supply being what you're consuming demand being you know the demands through expenditure the demands through your training um because you really have to support training performance and you also have to really uh promote uh recovery thereafter right um there's a lot of working parts that go into all this um maybe if you ask me a little bit more yeah. <laughs> specific questions so what is your thoughts on actually what you mentioned there, like refeeds and cheat days? Are you like a proponent of cheat days on a cut or do you not like the term? What's your thoughts on it? Hmm. So cheat day, I'm assuming meaning eating whatever yeah. for the whole day? <laughs> or, or even cheat meals, cheat days, whatever, like say it's a Sunday, you know, what's your thoughts? Sure. So, um, there's, there's, there's different ways of looking at it, right? Um, I think that for cheat days, they're not productive in the long term, right? I don't really uh, like that terminology either because when it comes to your nutrition and training, it shouldn't be something you have to cheat on, right? Cheating isn't necessarily a good thing. Would you cheat on a test? Would you cheat on your girlfriend, right? No. Right. I'm sure you wouldn't cheat on your girlfriend or your test. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you have one, but anyways, um, I think we need to break the stigma of associating us cheating on our diet. Okay. That's the first thing. Um, and the difference between a refeed and a cheat day is a refeed is a calculated day. Okay. Where your calories are elevated to your theoretical maintenance. Okay. Now, with that, your macronutrients are proportioned in specific ratios because of the benefits that we obtain from a higher carbohydrate intake, okay? On refeeds, your calories are elevated to your theoretical maintenance by an increase in carbohydrates, okay? And that's because, you know, uh, the benefits they provide us when it comes to improving leptin, refueling muscle glycogen, improving training performance, minimizing diet fatigue, um, all these different things are super important when it comes to a long-term calorie deficit. And um, there's been there's been some literature with regards to how refeeds and diet breaks are very viable tools when it comes to um, calorie deficits for preserving lean body mass and attenuating uh, metabolic adaptations. So our metabolism is an adaptive unit, right? It, it adapts on the way down to us eating little calories for a really long time it adapts on the way down to uh for uh, it adapts on the way down in response to us becoming a smaller human being right eating less moving more whatever it adapts on the way up to us eating a lot and you know gaining a lot of muscle gaining a lot of body fat right so the difference between a cheat day and a refeed is a refeed is calculated there's a specific intent behind it there's reasoning whereas a cheat day i mean there's a big difference if you're getting a surplus of calories through through predominantly carbohydrates, right? Um, or there's a big difference in obtaining a majority of your calories through like fat. So say you went out and had a burger and you had some fries as opposed to, let's say like 
you know, jasmine rice with some shrimp with some vegetables, right? So mm -hmm. that's something to really take into account. Yeah, I think people like they think of this too much as a restriction. Like, yes, there is a restriction there, and then they start thinking of cheat days. But instead of doing that, start thinking of how can I form this into a new lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like, um, for sure, not, absolutely. Not, not necessarily like the restrictive, like obviously when you're getting ready for a show that is restrictive, you're going to have to restrict to get down to super lean levels. But outside of that, say when you're at maintenance or a healthy body fat level, you know, how can you make that a lifestyle? For um, sure. So I think this all depends, right? It depends on the individual mm -hmm. and it depends on their goal. So if the individual has a goal of getting ready for a contest prep, getting ready for you know, a bodybuilding related goal that may require them to be a little bit more restrictive. Whereas if there's an individual who, you know, just likes training regularly and they just want to be a healthier person, right? Then I would argue for that person, you know, restriction isn't really necessary for them to achieve their goal. And if they're craving something, they should either, you know, go eat it rather than restricting themselves from it or have a macro-friendly version of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, prepping for, again, a bodybuilding show is not an inherently healthy process. This is why, you know, for most first-timers, having a coach that teaches you how to preserve your health along the way and maintain your sanity is very important. So that's something else to take into account. And there is something called thought suppression. Okay. So mm -hmm. let's say someone is super restrictive on themselves. The more you restrict yourselves from consuming a certain food, the more that increases your desire and frequency with that thought for, you know, wanting to eat that certain food. So although something is in your cabinet and you say, oh, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat that. It's always on the back of your mind. It's always in the back of your head. And if it's in your cabinet, there, there may come a time where one night you're not feeling the best. You didn't really eat the greatest, right? And you're down on yourself. You're going to go balls deep on that jar of peanut butter or, you know, that jar of Nutella, whatever you have in the cupboard. And um, it's just going to repeat a yo-yo cycle of binging and restricting and binging and restricting. So, you know, if you're ever craving something, what I usually tell my clients is go enjoy it. Try to account for it to the best of your ability. And, you know, even if you go over your numbers by a significant amount, the most important thing is that you're, if you're consistent 90% of the time, that other 10% doesn't really matter. And this is for, obviously, this depends on the individual, right? If this is contest prep related and it's an athlete then we have a similar understanding with regards to what's required for them week to week. For a general population or lifestyle client, I have to be a little bit easier on them because they're not holding themselves to that same high of standard to get their goal yeah. done, right? Yeah, and uh, one final question on that. How often do you like to implement refeeds? I think this totally depends on the individual, okay? Um, it depends on the extent of the deficit. So how much of a deficit and how long they've been dieting for and their current body fat percentage. I think it's also really important to take into account variables such as like 
your sleep, your stress, your soreness, your fatigue, your performance, your recovery. Um, so it's definitely individual, right? Uh, I think for most people, just, you know, you could sustain the deficit, just, uh, just um, stay in the deficit until you feel, you know, a little lethargic, start monitoring your biofeedback signals, the things I just mentioned, sleep, stress, soreness, fatigue, performance, recovery, um, measure your biofeedback signals, measure that in conjunction to, you know, you tracking your food consistently, what's happening on the scale as well. Um, and like I said, it's super, it's super individual dependent. I think, um, it's typically best to implement and there's different types of frequencies you could refeed at too. So you could have five low days, you could have two high days, you could have three, three high days, you could have four low days. There's multiple different ways you could go about that frequency, right? Um, usually the, and so the thing that separates a refeed and a diet break is a refeed is typically a 24 to 48 hour window where your calories are elevated to that theoretical maintenance, right? Whereas a diet break is a seven to 14 day period where your calories are elevated to your maintenance, right? So the difference is the diet break is a little bit longer. Um, the thought process behind that is because if it's, you know, your calories are elevated over the course of like two weeks, maybe there will be an additional benefit with regards to minimizing uh, diet fatigue, right? Um, and that's just something to take into account. I think both tools are uh, viable ways for adhering to a sustained calorie deficit over the long term. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's take a turn and switch over to the opposite side of it. I think you're currently in off season right now, aren't you? That's correct. Is that right? Yeah. Are you bulking right now? Um, I am currently sitting at maintenance right now. Um, so here's the thing. I, I know what you mean by like bulking, right? A lot of people associate these different phases um, with different terminology. It's called bulking. It's called massing. It's called gaining, whatever. Um, I think the off season is improvement season, regardless of what phase yep. you're in, right? So mm -hmm. um, even for my gen pop people, I still call it improvement season, right? Because calories are higher. We're going to focus on performance. This is where we're pushing. But my off season is going great. Thanks for asking. Um, this has probably been the most productive off season I've had to date and probably my most enjoyable off season today. I don't anticipate to get on stage until uh, 2022 for context. My last contest season was 2019. So that's about a 2.5 year off season. Um, I think especially for a lot of natural athletes, the, the longer you're not dieting, the better because that's going to increase your likelihood of actually making significant improvements with regards to your body composition. Um, and uh, I think just to transition, because we were previously talking about contest prep and refeeds and diet breaks, um, and just to give your context, uh, your audience more context, oftentimes a lot of people plan for fat loss a lot of people plan to diet down for the stage and get to those low levels of body fat percentages. And while that's a very important part of the equation, right? Um, a majority of why people binge after the show or, you know, why they gain an excessive amount of body fat or why they, you know, some people tend to fall off track is because they're not planning for a proper period of recovery, right? So really planning 
for a period of recovery after contest prep, after you get to those low levels of body fats percents is super important. The goal should be to restore health. With that in mind, you have to understand that you're gaining body back body fat, right? The distinguishing, uh, the thing that makes a difference between you just gaining back body weight and you gaining it back slowly is that you're gaining it back at an appropriate rate, right? So you're not, you're, you're minimizing fat gain uh, in the long run. And with regards to the recovery, there's, uh, there's two different approaches that can be utilized. You could use a reverse dieting approach where, you know, you're increasing calories via like 100, maybe 75 calories week to week for the, over the course of like eight weeks. Whereas with the 3DMJ recovery diet, you're automatically going into your maintenance calories and you're gaining back a minimum of 10 to 15 pounds of body weight within the course of like two to four weeks. Yeah, I think it just depends on the person's mental toughness, I guess, like how fast they're willing to actually go through it. Would you say so? For sure. Yeah. For sure. I tend to call it, I tend to call that like a similar thing. I call it um, the off-season acquisition of skill. Like, so they're, they're, they're trying to get something new, get some sort of new skill or work on something specific. That is what I would I'd describe it as. For um, sure. Yeah, man. A lot yeah. of people, a lot of people kind of get hung up on um, not really being shredded anymore, right? <laughs> So they get in the they get into a cycle where they're always you know dieting down for for shows or they're dieting down year to year or a mini cutting or in my mini cut it's lasting six months, you know. Um, I think a lot of people should be switching their focus to performance after the contest season is over. Um, really focusing on performance, really focusing on thriving with your training. And potentially like finding other hobbies that you enjoy too. Go skateboard, yeah. go, you know, go paint, go be a normal human other than just lifting things up and putting them down. Yeah, I like boxing. That's my hobby. Boxing, Honestly, nice. Uh, I started off with boxing actually before I got into weightlifting. And I think I'm, I'm tempted to get into jujitsu because so everyone else is getting into it, you know. See Dr. Sure, Mike Israel nice. and everyone get into it. And so I'm like, nice. maybe I'll yeah. try this jiu-jitsu thing. Um, but yeah, on the topic of that, bulking as well, I think a lot of people don't realize, like, as a natural drug-free athlete, you know, you may, you have to kind of have to be okay with gaining a bit of body fat and not being as lean as you'd like to be. Um, For sure. Part of it is, too, is you look better than 90% of the general population. Yep. So don't stress, but it's in your head, your head, your perspective is, oh, I was this lean. I was this shredded. All these other people are on stage. You know, they were like me too. Now I'm fat. Oh my God. And they, a lot of people could switch to that scarcity mentality, you know, very quickly. Mm -hmm. On that topic as well, like what is your thoughts on dirty bulking and lean bulking? How, how do you like to go about it when you're actually bulking? What's your process like? Sure. Great question. Um, so like I said, I hate referring to these, you know, different phases as gaining or massing or bulking because the reality is building muscle is a very complex process, right? So we 
don't necessarily know. Even with all the literature that's out, we don't know how many calories is required to actually build muscle. We don't know the cost that's associated with that, right? So you could be eating in a surplus, but that doesn't necessarily equate to muscle gain, right? You could be eating 500 grams of protein, right? You're just eating protein. You're eating a surplus of protein. And, you know, although you're eating in a surplus, if there is not a sufficient resistance training stimulus to induce an adaptation, you're not going to be building muscle, right? So this is a fallacy. A lot of people think, oh, I'm in a surplus. I'm going to build muscle. People think the same thing with fat loss too. I'm in a calorie deficit. That equates to fat loss. When in actuality, that's not the case because from literature, a buddy of mine's, uh, a buddy of mine's publication, his paper, Chris Barakat, shout out to Chris, um, is a calorie deficit required to build muscle? Well, from literature, it's been shown that you could build muscle at maintenance, a deficit, and a surplus. So this could get into the topic of body recomposition, which is building muscle and losing body fat at the same time. Right. So it's been demonstrated pretty clearly in the literature that it's totally possible. I've seen this with my friends, clients. I've seen this with my own clients. And it's it's a lot of people think if you're in a deficit, how am I how am I going to build muscle? But if you've been approaching your nutrition and training in a way to where it's unoptimized, you'll find significant value out of focusing on those small details. Right. So it's levels. It's levels and it depends on the individual. Um, if it's an athlete coming to me and they have so many systems unoptimized, right, they might find value out of, you know, pro uh, optimizing their pre and post workout nutrition or really managing their stress, their life stress appropriately, getting a sufficient amount of sleep quality quantity. This is just on the general side, too, right? There's a lot of things that could be optimized with regards to what you're doing with your resistance training, too. So this is another thing. Um, so it depends on the context of the person, right? If it's someone trying to optimize every single variable so they could maximize their progress, then there's, um, there's certain ways we could go about the education process to help them achieve that. But if it's a general population person and they're just trying to lose weight, then we may have to, you know, start start or take a different approach for that person, right? Mm -hmm. So I briefly touched on optimizing your resistance training. What does that mean, right? Um, and have you ever looked in the gym? You walk around, you look in the gym, and you see so many people performing movements um, improperly, right? Or they're doing some weird stuff or a weird variation, weird exercise that nobody in their life has done. They're over here on the lat pull down uh, like Superman, right? It's like pulling <laughs> them out of the sea and... Anyways, um, oftentimes a lot of people tend to think of complexities before they master the basics, right? So with regards to nutrition training, a vast majority of people that are performing their movements with technical proficiency is very, 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 very slim, right? So this is where it becomes really important to learn how to set your movements up correctly, learn how to execute them properly right? Learning how to standardize that. So when you throw different variables into the equation, like, okay, I'm going to increase my load this week. 
I'm going to aim for higher rep ranges. I'm going to increase my set volume. I'm going to improve my intensity of effort. I'm going to focus a little bit more on tempo this week. Once you start focusing on those different training variables, you'll be in a better position to know that when the quality of the work is there and you start progressing, that progression is going to induce changes or adaptation within your physique, whether that be improved strength capacity, better efficiency for executing movements, you know, better control in movements, long-term minimizes risk of injury, maximizes training performance, allows you to be more time efficient with what you're doing in the gym, right? So I don't know who wouldn't want all those things, but, you know, I go to the gym and I see people doing some crazy stuff. So this is what actually prompted me to write this book that I, um, is on the near drop. Yeah, I think um, like, you know, your calories can be perfect, whether that's in a deficit maintenance or surplus. But if you're not training properly, then you're just simply not going to build muscle. Um, Absolutely. Got to be training with proper form. You know, your training program has to be proper frequency. You know, the way your exercises are set up, everything has to be good. And then kind of, you know, the surplus and everything will st start to take effect and that um well yeah didn't quite answer my question about the dirty bulking are you not a fan of it then i take it dirty bulking so it's it's a great way to gain a yeah. lot of body fat real quick exactly yeah that's what I wanted, that's what i was trying to get you to say because um i've got a lot of people that you know just they just think they can eat whatever they want when they're trying to put on muscle and when when they put on a lot of body fat and then they have to cut afterwards and all that body fat comes off and they look at how much muscle they've gained it's going to be a net of like it could be a net of maybe only two to four pounds versus they could have done it properly and you know gain maybe sure. 10 i think pounds. it also depends on the individual too right so what yeah. if that person just has a really high metabolic rate Right. And they have yeah. to eat, you know, an excessive amount of calories in order to get the scale moving. Right. So that's another thing. Um, I And the dirty bulking, you know, um, if that person has to eat so many calories. Right. They have to be a little bit more efficient with how they go about doing that. So sometimes that may entail foods that are a little bit more calorie dense. Right. And this could be even like dirty foods whatever i like so this is what i was saying how i hate associating terms with you know certain certain things or foods or whatever right there, so this is another discussion there's no thing as a good food or bad food right yep. what's the difference there's foods that have higher or lower nutritional value based on you know their nutrient composition their their macro composition so um that's a just a little add on there yeah, I think only I think foods they only really become bad once you overtake them. I would say, like once you overeat on them, for example, would you agree? Like, say if it's processed foods, it's not really necessarily a bad food, but when the you... dose makes the poison. Yeah, exactly. Anything that. in excess is bad for you. This Perfect. could be for caffeine. This could be you know supplements. This could be even vitamins. So there's something called hypervitaminosis, which a lot of people are, are a lot of people say, and it's really hard to get to that range. But 
it's it's mm -hmm. definitely possible, which means there's just an excess of you know a certain vitamin or mineral um, in the body, right? And that has deleterious effects. So this is another fallacy that a lot of people think that more is better. More necessarily isn't better. You know, mm -hmm. excess vitamins leads to del deleterious effects in the body. Higher volumes are not better. High vol so. This is another thing. A lot of people. So from the literature, we know that there's a dose response relationship between volume and hypertrophy, but based on averages. So from a recent meta-analysis from Brad, Brad Schoenfeld, I believe in 2018, it is um, they 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 concluded that upwards up to 10 sets per muscle group per week is sufficient in inducing hypertrophy or muscle growth right but then again that 10 sets is based on average so there are people who may need higher volumes there are people that may need lower volumes so volume induces hypertrophy up to a point in certain individuals back to what i was saying a lot of people think more volume is better up to a point it could be good right for inducing adaptation but could it could also be you know uh, hindering your training performance could also be hindering rate of recovery um so that's another thing a lot of people have to take into account when it comes to like um that more is better fallacy right no, that's a huge point like i've mentioned this so many times where i remember when i first started out after the first year of lifting you know i got those new begins out but then i was working out every day almost like basically six days a week two hours a day and i was walking to work one hour and walking an hour back and that was way too much stress on my body like i, I remember as well i got to a plateau where i was no longer getting stronger i was at a stalemate and then eventually i actually started losing strength and losing weight while i was trying to gain weight and i was just like you know how is this when it's just too much stress on your body so more isn't always better for sure yeah you always got to check your variables too but more is not always better. And um, like I said, you know, most people, okay, normal people, you know, they're not competitive athletes with timetables. So if you find that you're fatigued and you're gassed out and you're not able to focus at work and your sleep is garbage and, you know, it's taking you too long to re recover from your sessions, you know, if that comes up in, you know, the context of whatever you're trying to accomplish, it may be better for you to slow down a bit you know maybe with a tra train with a lower frequency maybe do a body part split train a muscle group one day out of the whole week right it's just something to take into account um, most people like i said aren't competitive athletes with timetables so if you find you need to slow down a bit and progress slower in order to progress over a longer period of time then that may be just what you have to do yeah, I think it's always progress over perfection. Like slow progress is better than no progress. For sure. And slow progress is also better than overdoing it and messing it up either as well. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, man, to finish off, I wanted to kind of ask a question for the group. I think we spoke about it already, but uh, we're currently in lockdown. We're going out of lockdown tomorrow night. And so a question for the guys here, how do you think someone should get back into training? Like after, say, 
three to four weeks of not train, training at all, or maybe like minimal body weight training? Hmm. Okay. Great question. So I think the biggest limiting factor for a lot of people over the course of these next couple of weeks is going to be their recovery, mm -hmm. right? Because you've been pent up, you're excited to go train, to move yeah. some iron, right? Um, I think it's really important to pace yourself, right? Because you've been out of the gym for some time, you haven't been performing certain movements or certain exercises. So it should automatically, you know, be understood that you're going to be sore the first couple weeks, but that's really just your body adapting to the type of training you're doing and the demands you're imposing on it. So that's something to take into account. Um, I think if you've been doing something during lockdown, that's far better than have not been doing anything. If you haven't been doing anything, you may have to take it a little bit slower than someone who's actually doing something, right? But I think it's increasingly important to use this period of time as an opportunity to develop an appropriate foundation with regards to your resistance training, right? So back to what I was previously discussing, um, I think it's really important to just understand, you know, how to set your movements up properly, okay, and how to execute them, okay? Therefore, once you know the quality is there, you'll be in a better position to progress, okay? Um, I think also, you know, for whatever muscle group you're trying to train, potentially look up the anatomy for that muscle group, right? Mm -hmm. Understand a little bit about what you're training, what the goal is in certain exercises, you know, what your intent is going into the gym. And this is above people who've, you know, are just going to the gym and doing whatever, right? This is for people who really want to improve. If you really want to improve, you have a program in place, you have a game plan ready, then it doesn't make sense to pace yourself and develop a foundation from which you'll further progress from, right? And once you have that foundation developed, different things start to come in. I'm going to focus on heavier loads this week. I'm going to focus on higher rep ranges. I think for most people, it should keep set volume relatively low, right? Yeah. Focus on the quality and then if you find you're not progressing in that certain certain movement or muscle group, that may potentially opt or that may potentially prompt an increase in set volume, right? But, you know, focus on being efficient with your exercises, executing them properly, and um, taking each set to a close proximity to failure. And then once you're there, you could, you know, start, you graduate a little, graduate to other training variables. Yeah, I think for me as well, I can use myself as an example. For me, over the lockdown, I just worked on a, a lot of mobility. Um, I remember I couldn't quite squat to depth I would like before lockdown. Uh, this was before the first lockdown. And then having worked on mobility for so long, when I got into back in the gym, that first squat shit session I'd done was, I kid you not, the best squat I've done in four years. Just Nice. See, there you go. That's that's the beauty of developing your foundation in action. So what do you think is going to happen when you throw load into the equation and you have your form and you have your execution standardized, right? Yep. Your legs are going to fucking blow up. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, that is actually what happened. So exactly, dude. Nice. But, um, on the topic of um, soreness as well, you mentioned soreness. Do you think soreness is a... Uh, like a good indicator of muscle growth? Do you think that is something people should be chasing? 
or is there other other variables they should be looking at good question so being sore isn't necessarily indicative of uh, uh, an effective training stimulus for growth right mm -hmm. um any anyone could put together a training program that fucking drives you into the ground right that kills the toughest marine and you know strongest of the strongmen anybody could create like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to fucking yeah. kill someone in the gym and do hard shit right mm -hmm. but it does take someone intelligent to get results take it to that level and still progress over time right in in a structured manner now um i do think soreness is associated with it could be it could be exercise dependent it could be your muscle groups reaching certain lengths and it could be um certain resistance profiles that induce that soreness right i don't think it's a good predictor of you having a productive workout um i think people should be more focused on you know aiming for one percent progression session to session whether that be like micro loading a movement for example um and i do think a lot of people get stuck in the trap of chasing the pump too so there are two different things so you being extremely sore after a session is is a result of your muscle group being taken to extreme ranges of the lengthened position okay that's associated with muscle damage and muscle damage is one of the theorized mechanisms of muscle hypertrophy right mm -hmm. so a lot of people get stuck into chasing that soreness a lot of people get stuck into chasing the pump which is um which is like fluid a lot of metabolite buildup, and blood in the muscle right um and this this could be leave people confused like what do, i don't focus on soreness i don't focus Oh, uh, you're muted, Ishak. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good deal. Cool. Yeah, yeah my headset just died. Um, right. Back to what I was saying. Yeah, man, I think most people should be just focused on progressive training rather than trying to kill themselves after a workout, right? And just yeah. being structured with your training. So what are you focusing on this week or this month? Are you focusing on strength-based work? Are you focusing on lower rep ranges, heavier loads? Or next week, are you what? Are you focused on higher rep ranges? Are you focused on um, lighter loads, higher rep ranges, shorter work between sets, you know, or shorter rest between sets? Yeah, I like that you mentioned 1% um, better, like just focus on can you get one more rep this week? Can you maybe add a micro load, just one, one or two more pounds on the bar this week? um maybe one more set you know just incrementally just one percent better each day um but yeah man i think we've covered a lot of points uh definitely great episode and great to have you on um where can the people find you sure you could find me on i'm pretty much on every social platform um i'm more active on instagram um, so if you want to just follow me on Instagram, go ahead and do that. I post, I try to post every other day, but, um, I try to post valuable information that a lot of people could 
you know, take some things away from. Um, like I you could also find me on my site, www.hawkfitcoaching.com. There's a variety of articles there with literature referenced. Um, and you could also stay on the lookout for uh, my book, which is to be dropping um, January, not going to work. Yeah, I'm excited for that book, man. Uh, we have full eye chat, guys. Like his content is great. If it wasn't, then I wouldn't have him on the podcast. But yeah, it's been a great episode. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, yeah, that's it for us, guys. Peace. <laughs>